Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. We are back after a one-week hiatus. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. It's been a pretty hectic time for me, even though we took a week off from the podcast. There was still a lot of other stuff going on. I was very thankful that I did get to stay home on Thursday for Thanksgiving and spend that with the family. That was really a great day, and I hope it was for all of you as well. But then the next morning, had to get up early and drive to Philadelphia, where I met the team for their game against the Flyers. Came right back, had another game over the weekend on Saturday. A big win for the Rangers over the Boston Bruins at Madison Square Garden. Really a marquee matchup between Two teams who at the time were vying for that top spot and still are vying for that top spot in the overall NHL standings. And now we've rolled right into a new week, and that's where we need to pick up. I'm going to dive right into a lot of this stuff because it's been a big news day for the Rangers on this Tuesday, November 28th. Even though they didn't have a game today, they have games, it feels like, pretty much every other day. But today was a matter of a lot of injury news and a lot of transactions as they try to sort out this roster. And so this episode is largely going to be devoted to digesting all of that, giving you guys all of the latest information that I've been able to gather as far as players and availability and lineup and salary cap and all that good stuff. So... Let's run through it here. The first domino to fall, if you will, came on Monday night. The Rangers lose a 5-1 to result against the Buffalo Sabres. They did not play well at all in that game. The mood in the locker room was that that was nowhere near the level that they've grown accustomed to playing so far this season. A lot of things just felt like they were off for the Rangers in that game. I talked about this on SNY on Monday night. I think it's fair to characterize it as a bit of a letdown game coming off of that big win over Boston. On Saturday, it just felt like the puck management was off. Costly turnovers that were leading to pretty high-quality scoring chances for the Sabres. And the Rangers, even though it felt like they were generating some opportunities, they just weren't converting them at the rate that we had seen in the previous few games. But... You know, I can't sit here and pound the desk or or make too big of a deal out of one loss when prior to that, the Rangers had won 15 of their first 19 games. And even after that loss, they still sit atop the NHL standings as far as the best points percentage in the league. So I don't think it's anything we need to go crazy over. You see how they respond when they take the ice again Wednesday night against the Detroit Red Wings. But the really big thing that came out of that game for the Rangers is that Capo Caco during the second period suffered an injury that I know for everybody who was watching was really quite scary to witness as far as his long-term prospects for this season. At first I thought he had gotten hit in the corner of the ice because you saw him kind of crash against the boards. He was up there with Eric Johnson a defenseman for Buffalo. It seemed like those two had maybe gotten tangled up and Kako had gotten hit and ends up crumpling down to the ice. But then looking at the replay, what you see is that he didn't even really get hit. 
it seemed like as he was skating and the two of them were kind of going after the puck that his left leg, his left skate seemed to sort of get caught in the ice awkwardly and his left leg bent in a way that I don't think a leg is supposed to bend and the knee especially really seemed to take the brunt of it and you saw right away that once Kako hit the ice, he immediately screamed out in pain and went to clutch that left knee. So the fear here is absolutely that it's a left knee injury. Of course, the Rangers are just classifying it as lower body, but we all saw that the knee is what he grabbed and, and seemed to be where he was in pain. And then he's down on the ice for a while. The, the crowd is stunned and silent, and it required the help of multiple people to help him get off the ice and to the locker room. And on his way there, as far as I can tell, he was not putting any weight at all on that left leg. Now, the bad news is that clearly this is a relatively serious injury, and the Rangers, from what I've heard, it's not official yet, but I've heard this from a very reliable source, are planning to put him on long-term injured reserve, which means he's going to have to miss a minimum of 10 games and 24 days, but I don't think anybody will be surprised if it's significantly longer than that. My source told me that the expectation is he will miss significant time, but not the rest of the season. So that's an important thing here. It sounds like they are not expecting this to be a season-ending injury for Kako. And when we spoke to head coach Peter Laviolette today, he echoed those sentiments. He said that they do expect him back at some point this season. We just know that it's going to be at least a month, I think very possibly multiple months, in which they don't have one of their top right wingers. We know the background here. He started the season on the top line, ended up getting moved down to the third line, definitely off to a slow start, had only put up three points in the first 19-plus games of the season. So Kako was struggling, especially offensively. And now he gets dealt this really tough blow. So just from a human standpoint, you got to feel really bad for the kid because it seemed like such a promising season for him. He had had a really strong training camp in my eyes, and I know in the eyes of Peter Laviolette, who repeated that multiple times throughout training camp. Looked like he was poised for a breakout season. I had spoken to a couple scouts who felt like he was in a better position coming out of the preseason than Alexi Lafreniere was. That sounds silly now, considering what we've seen, how well Lafreniere has played and how poorly Capococco has played, especially, again, when we talk about the offensive production. But that was the sentiment, I think, within the organization and around the league a month and a half ago, two months ago. So now look where we are, where Lafreniere is rolling and Kako was off to the slow start, and now he's hurt, and his season is definitely taking a, a major hit. We don't know exactly how much time he's going to miss. The way it was phrased to me is significant time, but all indications right now are that he will be back at some point. So you hope he can salvage something, but you got to feel for the kid right now because nothing has really gone his way so far this season, which is now year four for him, or I'm sorry, year five for him actually in the NHL, which is kind of crazy to wrap your head around considering he's still only 22 years old. So Kako out for significant time on long-term injured reserve. The Rangers also make the move to put Philip Heedle 
on long-term injured reserve. And that is a significant move as well in the short term because it creates more cap space for them. And that's really the important thing to remember here. Heedle, his LTIR stint is retroactive to when he first sustained the injury back in early November. He's already missed the minimum requirement of 10 games in 24 days. So because this is retroactive, he can be activated at any time. But the Rangers expect him to miss, I think, at least a few more games. And so in the meantime, they create more salary cap space for themselves by putting him on LTIR. Now, he did finally, after close to a month of not getting on the ice, he started skating on his own last week, but he is still yet to practice with the team. He has not been cleared for any type of practice setting or contact or anything like that. So still seems like he's a little ways away. Peter Laviolette said this LTIR move on Tuesday was not because there was any kind of a setback. He said he continues to move in the right direction, albeit obviously a very slow direction. They're taking their time with this quite clearly because of the history that we've discussed of concussions and of head injuries for this player. We've talked about what a concern that is moving forward, but them putting him on LTIR on Tuesday had nothing to do with all of a sudden there was some kind of a setback or all of a sudden they think he's going to be out even longer. I actually saw him walking around the facility today. It seems like he is making small steps in the right direction, but Before you consider him as an option for the NHL lineup, he's going to need to get back into some practice settings. That is really the next step that everyone is waiting to see. It could come soon. Laviolette sounded somewhat encouraged by where he's at. But in the meantime, the Rangers will be able to save some cap space as far as the LTIR pool money is concerned by adding Heedle on there. So with Kako and Heedle both expected to go on LTIR and... Oh, by the way, the news keeps coming. Adam Fox, I'm told, is expected to come off LTIR on Wednesday and make his return in that game against the Red Wings. With all of these things happening, it looks like the Rangers, for the time being, are going to have roughly $5.69 million in available cap space based on that LTIR pool money. Now, Whenever Heedle comes back, all of a sudden that money is going to drop to about $1.25 million. And I think it's fair to say that at that point that one of the players that they recall today, whether it's Johnny Brodzinski or Adam Edstrom, who we're going to talk about a little bit more in this episode, those are the two forwards that the Rangers called up to replace Kako on the roster for now. They'd be sending one of those guys back whenever Heedle is ready to return. So, Really, the LTIR cap space goes back up to about $2 million or $2.1 million in that situation. But the really long-term concern here as far as cap space is that if there ever comes a point when the Rangers are fully healthy and they don't have anyone on LTIR, well, all this time spent using this LTIR money where they're therefore not allowed to accrue any additional cap space, which we saw them used to their advantage in years past, well, that means that in all likelihood, when everybody's healthy, 
Kako, Heedle, Fox, you know, maybe several months from now. But when that day comes, the Rangers, all of a sudden, that LTIR pool money disappears and they haven't had as many opportunities to accrue as they expected to have. Well, they're going to be in a situation where when they get back to that opening night lineup with 22 guys on it, they're going to have probably less than a million dollars in available cap space, which is going to severely limit their options as we get to the trade deadline. Now, that's probably a bigger conversation for another day, but I think it's important to point out here. While they have these guys on LTIR, they buy themselves some wiggle room. So they are able to call up a Johnny Brodzinski. They are able to call up an Adam Edstrom. They are able to consider some other moves. But when the time comes, if the time comes, because we never know if they'll be fully healthy, but if that day does come, then all of a sudden you're looking at a lot less salary cap space than I think they were originally projecting. At the beginning of the season, we told you, or at least I know I told you, that I anticipated the Rangers having around $3 million in salary cap space through the accrual process by the time they got to the trade deadline. But that is no longer going to be the case for this team. They, as far as their maneuverability at the trade deadline, it's going to be really tight for them. This is not good for them from that perspective. It's certainly not good from the perspective of losing lineup regulars, losing players that you were counting on. That is the biggest news here. That is by far the headline here. But I think for those of you looking down the line a little bit, which I know a lot of you as fans tend to do, and I can't blame you because I do the same thing, trade deadline-wise, this is not good for them. But let's bring it back to present day here and just quickly recap. Kako, injury that we suspect to his left knee, going on LTIR, going to miss significant time, but will be back at some point this season. Philip Heedle goes on LTIR, but... It's retroactive. He can be activated at any time. They're hoping that that happens sometime in the next couple weeks. And then Adam Fox, this is, of course, the biggest positive news going on right now. He is a full go, according to Peter LaViolette, has been practicing with the team for a week or so now, I think over a week now, as a full participant, no non-contact jersey. He, he was right out there participating in every drill in the Tuesday practice, it's been that way for the last few practices, and he is set to return to the lineup on Wednesday. So the Rangers lose Kako, but Fox is a Norris Trophy winner, a star player, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. So that is going to be a huge boost for them, getting him back in the lineup. So now what I want to do is play some clips that we heard from Peter Laviolette today and sort of break these things down on a more individual basis because it was a lot I know to process. So I want to take a little more time to talk about each specific situation. And in order to do that, we're going to start with our clip from LaViolette who was talking about losing Kako and where the Rangers go from here. I think that you have to work to respond. And um, I think our guys have done a really good job at that. We would definitely rather be healthy and have our players available. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate you know, what happened last night. And uh, like I said, I'm positive we'll get him back at some point and get him back going again. But until then, somebody will, somebody will have to fill those shoes and, and we'll move forward. 
All right, so you hear it there from LaViolette that they do expect Kako back at some point, but they, in the meantime, need somebody to step up and fill those shoes. So what this leaves the Rangers with is a very thin situation at right wing, and we've talked about this before. That was their thinnest position coming into the season. It was the position that I think most of us felt was most likely they would target at the trade deadline. It's going to be hard for them to do that, except for guys who make very low salaries. So you can already start maybe picking out some of your targets there, guys that make, let's say, between the league minimum and about a million and a half. I don't think they're going to be able to go too much higher than that. But in the meantime, they're going to try to make do with internal options. They're going to give the guys in the organization the first chance to fill those shoes. Now, your top two right-wingers, we've talked a bit in the last couple of weeks about whether or not Blake Wheeler would stick on that top line. Well, now you really don't have much of a choice. Wheeler, for the foreseeable future, is going to skate with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad on the top line. The good news is there have been some signs of life at 5-on-5 five five from that line. They've definitely been more productive in the last handful of games, but you still do have concerns about Wheeler. There are still moments within the game where it looks like he's a step behind. You, you certainly don't want to overdo it with too many minutes for him. We've talked about the Rangers ideally wanting him to play more like third-line type of minutes, and, and now those minutes are certainly going to be higher for him. You, you see moments where the vision and the playmaking and the passing comes into play, and there have certainly been some moments where he's set up Zabanajad and Kreider for some pretty high-quality scoring chances. So you're going to have to lean on that. That is clearly going to be the biggest asset you get from playing him on the top line. But when it comes to pushing the pace, when it comes to getting back on defense, when it comes to some of the other areas where at this stage of his career at 37 years old, we know his skills have diminished, well, the Rangers are going to have to live with that for at least the time being and, and probably a pretty long time because even prior to Kako's injury, we know that Kako hadn't been productive enough in that spot either, which is why Wheeler got the chance in the first place. But so now that bet that the Rangers placed on Blake Wheeler to begin the season, well, now that becomes an even more important thing for them moving forward. And it also makes it even more important for Alexi Lafreniere to continue to not only stick at right wing, but continue to be highly productive. He's the guy that you feel the best about in that spot right now, and you're certainly not going to move him away from Artemi Panarin, where those two have clicked and have been really, really good together. So that's the one thing you feel like you can hopefully hang your hat on. But even him, it's a guy playing a position he hasn't played a whole lot of in his career, and a guy who doesn't have a track record of big-time production at the NHL level. We feel like he's in the middle of a breakout season. I feel like he's playing the best we've ever seen him play and playing with more confidence than we've ever seen him play. So you just got to hope all that continues. Again, he's the guy that you feel the best about right now as far as the right wingers are concerned. But then after that, what are you looking at? Well, if Tuesday's practice was any indication, and I absolutely believe it is, and I believe this is what we'll see on Wednesday's game against Detroit, is that Johnny Brodzinski is going to be the first guy to get the crack at 
filling that spot on the third line where Capo Caco was playing. If it's not Brodzinski, your other options, as far as the guys who are currently on the roster, are probably going to be just moving up one of those guys from the fourth line. Whether it's Jimmy Vesey, who's having a really good season so far, Barclay Goudreau, or Tyler Pitlick. And Pitlick, we should give a little bit of acknowledgement here too as well, because I really think the last few games for him have been his best games as a Ranger. I was actually chatting with him a bit at his locker today. The confidence seems to be brimming with him as well right now. He is just such an active presence on the forecheck and defensively and, and with the physicality. But what we're seeing more and more each game is him really being aggressive offensively. I mean, looking for his shot, attacking the net, coming just absolutely screaming down the center of the ice. He just always seems like he's he's playing really, really hard. And I feel like that's been showing up. He got his first goal as a Ranger over the weekend against the Boston Bruins. And as I was joking with him about today, it feels like he could have had two or three other goals in these last few games. So that fourth line has been gelling. They have been playing really well. We talked, I think it was a few weeks ago, someone submitted a question about how the analytics for that line were really bad and they just weren't having any possession. It seemed like they were always stuck in the defensive zone. Well, that's shifted in these last few games. They have been a force. They matched up with that top line for the Boston Bruins, which has been so dangerous historically on Saturday, and they did an excellent job. You saw Peter Laviolette strategically say, I am going to put my fourth line out there every time I can against the best line for the Bruins, and those guys did the job. They produced a few goals. They really limited the shots and the scoring chances if you look at the numbers for that Boston top line. I believe for the whole game, they had three shots on goal and one high-danger scoring chance, so you'll take that every time. So the fourth line's clicking right now, and I don't think Laviolette wants to mess with that. If he needs to, he will, and whether it's VC or Pitlick or Goudreau, you could – maybe make an argument that one of those guys should be the next man up. Although I don't think anybody looks at those three players as scorers or third line type of players. They're, they're certainly better suited in a fourth line role, which is why Brodzinski is going to be the first guy to get the crack to play on the third line. And listen, we can look at his track record in the NHL opportunities that he's had over a hundred NHL games on his resume and only 17 points. So it has not clicked for him clearly at the highest level yet, but you got to give this guy a lot of credit because to me, watching him in practice and seeing the AHL results, this is a guy who even at 30 years old continues to get better, I believe, every single year. And look at where he's at right now if you look at the AHL numbers. He's played fewer games than most AHL players because he did have a little stint where the Rangers recalled him earlier in the month. So he's played 16 games. A lot of the other leaders have played 19 or 20. But he leads the AHL with 25 points in those 16 games. This is a guy who you're talking about over a half, over a point and a half per game on average and is leading, last I checked, by three points against anybody else in the league, most of whom have played more games than him. So Brodzinski has just been absolutely on fire. I went up last week to visit with Hartford since I wasn't with the Rangers on that trip to Pittsburgh for Thanksgiving. 
and checked in with the new interim coach there, Steve Smith, talked to a bunch of the prospects like Brennan Othman and Brett Berard and Dylan Garand, wrote stories about a bunch of those guys that you can find on Lowhead Sports. Uh, I'm sorry, lowhead.com slash sports slash Rangers. But what came up with a lot of those guys is that Brodzinski has been the driving force for that team. Othman told me that he believes Brodzinski is one of the top three or five players in the entire American League, and the results speak to that. So he might not feel like the sexiest option to a lot of fans. I know a lot of fans would like to see Othman get that opportunity, but I quite frankly think that Brodzinski right now is the right move. Number one, because he's earned it, and that should mean something. We talk about meritocracy. We talk about deserving the opportunities that you get. He's been Hartford's best player, so he, in my opinion, deserves the call right now. But we've also talked about the mistakes that the Rangers have made when it comes to rushing prospects. And I believe that going to a guy like Othman, who's only 20 years old and has still played fewer than 20 AHL games, is just really starting to get comfortable and get his feet wet at that AHL level right now. I think all of a sudden turning around and asking him to be a regular in your NHL lineup would be rushing the process, would be disrupting his development. I don't think it would be the right move for him right now. Just in talking to people and talking to Brennan himself last week, he talks about he still needs to get rid of his junior habits. I know from an organizational standpoint, they still believe that he needs to tighten things up defensively. A lot of those little things when it comes to, he talked about stick positioning. He talked about breakouts. He called them good deposits, which is about puck placement uh, on your passes as you're trying to advance from one zone to the next. When you talk about the forechecking, when you talk about getting back in the defensive zone and gap control and knowing your positioning and just being reliable defensively, all of those little things are areas of his game that he still needs to tighten up. And that is why he's in the AHL right now. So to just make a knee-jerk move in a moment of panic because you're losing Kako and say that this guy needs to come up right now, I don't think that would be in the best interest of him, nor do I think it would be in the best interest of the organization. Now, He's heating up. He's got six points in his last five games with the Wolfpack. And when I talked to Steve Smith about this, he felt like his commitment to learning the defensive side of the game was there. He just needs time to continue to develop there. So later in the season, especially if Kako ends up missing, let's say, multiple months, and we talked about some of the issues they're going to have salary cap-wise with trades, Maybe there does come a point where you look at Othman and say, okay, he's ready. We're going to give him a shot. But I think that's more like second half of the season. I think right now it's too soon to rush him. And right now you've got Johnny Brodzinski lighting up the AHL. So he is going to be the first guy that gets that opportunity. And honestly, if it doesn't work with Brodzinski, I'm not even sure that Othman is number two on the list. We saw the Rangers decide to call up Adam Edstrom who's a prospect that maybe some people have forgotten about or flown under the radar, was only a sixth-round pick back in 2019. But this is a guy who, during my visit with Hartford, people were raving about. Six foot eight, 225 pounds. He's been playing pretty much in the top six for the Wolfpack all season. Their top two right-wingers have been Edstrom and Brett Berard. Othman, this is probably another factor in this equation, 
has exclusively played left wing so far, which is his natural position, which is where he's most comfortable. So that's something that I think when you're saying, hey, they should put Othman in the NHL lineup right now, you need to consider as well. But Edstrom has been playing right wing, and he's been playing in the top six for Hartford. He's tied for second on the team with seven goals right now. And the size is just flat out impressive. And not only that, but you watch this guy skate. He moves really well for a guy at six foot eight. That was something that Steve Smith brought up during my visit with them last week. That's something I've heard from scouts as well. And he's also, you can go on YouTube or Twitter and probably find some of these. Edstrom is known. He was known in Sweden, and he's already developing a little reputation for it. With Hartford, he's known for dishing out some pretty big hits. This is a physical player. He's not just some big guy who you know, has the size but doesn't have the grit or whatever you want to call it to go along with it. He plays the game hard. He plays the game physical. And he's not the highest skill player. This isn't going to be a guy who's dangling a lot or racking up assists or anything like that. But he does get around the net, and he does find ways to produce goals. Again, seven goals so far, which is tied for second on Hartford's roster. So that tells you something. They're impressed with what they've seen so far from Edstrom because he was the guy who got the other call up when the Rangers made their moves on Tuesday. So Edstrom, I believe, will be a healthy scratch. Bradzinski will insert into the lineup in that right-wing spot on the third line, and that will lead us right into our next clip from Peter Laviolette, who was asked specifically about those two call-ups from Hartford and why they were the choices. Johnny, I believe, is one of the top scorers, leading scorer in American Hockey League. He's off to a fantastic start down here. You can see it out here. He brings a shot mindset. He's got skill, and he brings a ton of speed, and so... Um, I'm sure he's excited to get an opportunity. He was, you know, he was a guy at camp that made a really positive impression. Um, Edstrom is a guy that, you know, we noticed the whole time. Just he got better and better. He's he's a big body. He's hard to miss out there, and um, has pretty good puck skills, and he can play physical. And so, um, you know, as as we're working through things to to manage the lineup, those two guys are the, the ones that deserve the. There you have it. I think it's pretty clear that Brodzinski made a strong impression on Laviolette and the coaching staff at training camp. I really do believe, if you remember, he was one of the last cuts, stuck around for a long time, I think played in five out of the six preseason games. They took a hard look at Brodzinski, and I really believe that he didn't make this roster, not really through fault of his own, but just because of the strong camp that Will Cooley had and the Rangers deciding that it was time to give the rookie uh, an NHL opportunity and wanting him to fill a spot in the lineup. If not for that, I think Brodzinski was definitely in position to make this roster. So he gets sent down. And again, you got to give this guy a lot of credit. His attitude, I've gotten to know him a bit over the years, and you guys heard it. I had him on the podcast for an episode last season just one of those days where I was hanging around the rink and he had been there late skating because he was going to be a healthy scratch that day and ended up sitting at his locker with him and just talking about the grind and the mindset that it requires for a guy like that who's got a young family, who's 30 years old now, who's been bounced around in the league and never really been able to stick as an NHL regular to continue to chase his dream and do it with the right attitude. Do it where when he gets sent down to Hartford, he's not sulking. 
This is a guy with a smile on his face, with an upbeat attitude, captain of the Hartford team. And I can just tell you from talking to some of the young guys like Brennan Offman and Brett Berard, they really look up to this guy and the way that he plays the game and the way that he tries to mentor them. He takes it upon himself, not just to go down there and worry about himself. I find it funny that everybody says go down there because Hartford is north and then I here I am catching myself saying it. But when he goes up there, he doesn't just worry about himself and selfishly only think about, okay, how can I get back to the NHL? He's down there helping these young guys who in a lot of ways are competing with him to be the next guy called up. And yet it seems like he is one of the most positive influences in that locker room. And he's also a really, really well-liked guy in the Rangers locker room. If some of you saw the clip that I shared today, Chris Kreider during the interview with Brodzinski was throwing gloves at him and throwing shoelaces at him and just messing around with him very playfully, obviously. And it just goes, I think, to show that the guys in that locker room are really happy to see Brodzinski get this opportunity. And again, when we talk about meritocracy, when we talk about guys earning it, when we talk about guys doing it the right way, that means something in the locker room. And you could see that when a guy like that gets rewarded, that it perks up the rest of the guys in there. Some of the veterans in there who have a lot of respect for Johnny and the way that he goes about his business, just a really genuinely nice down to earth guy, a really easy guy to talk to. I found, and I'm, I'm sure his teammates feel the same way. So got to feel good for a guy like that. Now, is he going to be the long-term solution for the Rangers? Is he a top nine player on a Stanley cup contending team? Probably not. We'll have to see. This is a big opportunity for him, and you don't want to flat out say yes or no here. We'll see how he plays, but I do believe that ultimately the Rangers are going to want A, Kako back, and B, probably to make some kind of a move for a forward. And ultimately, the other guy who is kind of the next shoe to drop here is Philip Heedle, because whenever Heedle is ready to come back in the lineup, that probably pushes Brodzinski out. I, I suppose if he plays really well, maybe it's one of those fourth-line guys that we've talked about who comes out, but those guys are also playing well right now, so it creates a competitive situation for sure. But Hedl coming back is really the next shooter drop because by all accounts, he's going to be ready to come back well before Kako. You're hoping Hedl's back in the next week or two. You know, I'm not making that prediction by any means. I think this is a really delicate situation, as we've talked about. But Hedl coming back now, all of a sudden, that gives you a guy who you're going to put somewhere on the third line. Probably you figure third line center. But I suppose, and I've had fans ask this question, that maybe Hedl could end up being an option at right wing. Right now, you've got Nick Benino centering the third line. You know, that's not ideal. I think Hedl very easily could take that spot. But then the question becomes, you move Benino, I guess, down to the fourth line, and you have to move somebody from the fourth line up onto that third line to play with Cooley and Heedle. I honestly hadn't thought about it too much until now, but I guess if you were asking me in that situation, what would I do? I would give strong consideration to, I think, Jimmy Vesey in that spot because I think of all the fourth-line players, he's having the best season, and he would bring some defensive conscience to that line. So for me, I could see a third line once Heedle comes back of Cooley, Heedle, and VC, and then that leaves you with a fourth line of Goudreau, Benino, and Pitlick. But again, the opportunity is in front of Johnny Brodzinski. He's hot right now, 
I was joking around with Adam Edstrom today, and Adam Edstrom kind of motioned at Brodzinski and was like, this guy just scores every game, he, especially on the power play. It sounds like Brodzinski has been really doing a lot of damage on the power play. And actually, if practice was any indication, which again, it always is, Laviolette had Brodzinski on PP2 today. So it looks like he's in a play there for the game against Detroit. And so they want to, I think, see if they can continue to let him do some damage there. He plays in that left circle. His one-timer has been a big threat from what I understand. You heard Laviolette say it. He's got a shoot-first mentality. This is the guy who is not shy about pulling the trigger and shooting the puck. So Bradzinski gets the first crack at it. Once Hedo comes back, then you rejigger the puzzle a little bit. But that is the way that the Rangers are going right now. So overall, obviously, the forward group without Hedl and without Kako is not as deep and as strong-looking as you hoped it would be or as you thought it looked on paper when the season began. But the final thing I want to get into here before we play this final clip is Adam Fox and that return. And so we'll sort of end this on a positive note here. Fox coming back, we've talked about this. There are very few guys, you count them on one hand, who are as important to this lineup as Adam Fox is. So all of a sudden now your decor is whole. We saw it on Tuesday. Fox was back in his usual spot skating with Ryan Lindgren. Keandre Miller was in the spot he's been all season with Jacob Truba. That goes back to being your, your 1A and your 1B pairs. And Eric Gustafson, who performed really, really well in Adam Fox's absence, goes back into the spot where you envisioned him on the third pair with Braden Schneider. Gustafson also slides back onto the second power play unit now. So your defense is whole again. And Fox coming back is just massive for this team. If they were reeling from all these injuries and not getting a guy like him back, I think the feeling in the room would be quite different. But now you're losing you know, an important role player in Kako, but you're gaining back a star player in Fox. Obviously, that's a trade you would make. You'd rather have both of them. But Fox coming back, I think, is a bigger impact addition right now for the Rangers. So with that, let's hear from Peter Laviolette when he was asked today about whether or not a, Fox will definitely be back for Wednesday, and B, what does that mean to the lineup? You guys saw it. I saw it. He looks fine out there. He looks good. He's making plays. He's skating. He's, you know, he's been cleared full go for days now. Uh, it was good to get everybody out there, even though it was short and it was 30 minutes. It was good to get everybody out there and, like, get involved in that and the, the pace of that and the battle level of that. One, we needed to work on it because I, I think it needed to be better than it was last night. But two, it gave him an opportunity to jump in there and take on some of that. So he's 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 been clear full go for a few days now, and um, you know the plan is for him to move forward. You know, coming off the plan is for him to come off. Of course, he's talking about coming off LTIR. This is really a best case scenario for the Rangers. When he had that collision back on, I believe it was November 2nd in the game against Carolina Hurricanes with Sebastian Ajo, it looked like it was knee to knee or thigh to knee, looked like a really painful situation. I know a lot of people were fearing the worst. Obviously, no real serious long-term damage there because Fox is now set to come back and re-enter the Rangers lineup. 
less than a month later, misses the minimum amount of time that's required when you go on LTIR. And quite frankly, we've seen him back on the ice with the team for well over a week now. He probably could have come back even sooner if they absolutely needed him to, but I think this was the right approach. They gave him a little bit of extra time. They were able to at least temporarily take advantage of the LTIR situation. Now, again, long-term trade deadline time, the lack of accrual because of the LTIR situation is going to come back to hurt them, but I think that's going to be more so because of the Kako situation because I think the expectation is he's probably going to miss more time than Fox did. And so Fox, I think because of the flexibility that gave them in the short term and because it gave him a proper amount of time to heal without losing him for a really significant chunk of the season, it ends up working out. So all the doomsday concerns that he might be out for the year or he might be out for multiple months, those are all dispelled. Now he's set to come back to the lineup and for the Rangers, as I said earlier, I think adding Fox but losing Kako, you feel like they're a better team on paper for Wednesday's game than they were on paper for Monday's game against the Buffalo Sabres. And you have to really, I think, in a lot of ways, admire what we've seen from this team through the first now quarter of the season. They've played 20 games. They are pretty much officially at the quarter point of the season. And they're sitting here at 15-4-1, heading into Tuesday night's game. That was the best points percentage in the entire NHL. And to me, if you look at a lot of these wins from an individual standpoint, they haven't won all these games in the same fashion. They've won in a lot of different ways. You look at that game on Saturday against Boston, which has a lot of firepower and has been one of the best teams in the league for a few years now, really for several years now. They turned that into sort of this open ice game where there were a lot of scoring chances both ways. It was fast-paced. It was it was a really, really entertaining game. And the Rangers, in the end, were able to outrun them in this sort of track-meet kind of game. Then you look at the day prior, Friday in Philadelphia. Well, the Flyers, a John Tortorella coach team, played very much like that. They're a a gritty team. They're an in-your-face team. They're a physical team. You saw repeatedly guys in that game trying to get under the Rangers' skin, specifically guys coming at Jacob Truba and trying to egg him on, trying to get him to make a mistake, trying to get him to maybe drop the gloves or do something that would cost the Rangers. And... They not only kept their composure for the most part in that game, but they showed that they can play that style. They can play the grind you out, wear you down, bang you around kind of game and prevail in that way as well. The Rangers had a very tight, not a lot of room out there type of environment in that one, and they end up winning that game as well. And you could look at a lot of the other wins that they've had through these first 20 games. There have been games where they didn't play their best. A lot of them have not been full 60-minute efforts, but they've been resilient. They've been really strong, especially for the most part in the third period. The one exception was last week in Dallas where they got 
waxed in the third period by the Dallas Stars. But other than that, this has been a strong third period team. They seem to make adjustments in between periods. They seem to respond when they're challenged. They seem to respond to adversity, as we've seen with them playing 10 games without Adam Fox and playing 10 games without Philip Heedle and playing a handful of games without Igor Shosturkin. They've responded to all of those challenges so far. There's a very, very long way to go. But if you're a Rangers fan, you're disappointed with the injury stuff, of course. But you probably aren't too disappointed with the way that the team's been playing. I don't think you could feel much better about the spot where they are in the standings. And Keandre Miller said it the other day, and I think a lot of you might share this sentiment, that it still feels like they haven't played their best. I just mentioned they haven't had too many full 60-minute efforts where they're dominant from start to finish. They've had a few, but a lot of these wins for them have been more roller coaster rides where they end up finding a way to win at the end. But it feels like there's another level for them to get to, especially as they get healthier with Adam Fox coming back now, and you hope Philip Heedle not too far behind him. So... Right now, this has been a pretty enjoyable experience for you if you're a Rangers fan. They are undoubtedly a Stanley Cup contender. If you're talking about the teams that are capable of winning it all, they belong on that short list of probably 8 to 10 teams, I would say, around the league who you really realistically feel like can win it all. And at this stage of the season, that's pretty much all you can ask for. There are areas to tighten up. But they're showing improvements in some of them. We had harped a lot on the five-on-five scoring a few weeks ago, but I think that that's been much better recently. Now there are other areas that I know they want to clean up. The turnovers were an issue that we saw in the game against Buffalo. Some of those risky passes, those sloppy passes, especially breaking out of their own defensive zone, I think that was a big focus at Tuesday's practice. So these things are going to creep up, but we see – Peter LaViolette, I think, very proactively attacking the areas of concern. And I think the players have absolutely bought into his coaching style and his system and are holding themselves to a pretty high standard right now. So all in all, there was a lot of bad injury news that we talked about on this week's episode. But overall, the Rangers are in a really, really solid spot. Again, having won 15 of their first 20 games as we head into this Wednesday night contest with the Red Wings. So with that, I was planning more stuff for this week's episode before all the craziness of Tuesday broke out. Again, this is probably the busiest news day that we've had so far this season. So I'm sorry I was not able to take your Twitter questions this week, but it's getting late. I still have to go pick up my son from daycare. I really haven't had a moment to even catch my breath so far today. So I hope at least in this episode we were able to break down all the latest news, break down the salary cap stuff, break down the roster moves, break down what's going to happen as far as the lineup is concerned, and get all that information out to you guys as quickly as possible. And then we'll be back next week with what I hope will feel a lot more like a normal episode. I can give you a little teaser already that we do have a guest already scheduled for next week. It's going to be Steve Valaket our buddy from MSG Network and, of course, former goalie, backup goalie for Henrik Lundqvist and the New York Rangers. Love having Valley on. Definitely one of my all-time favorite guests who breaks it down, in my opinion, as well as anybody. So that's something to look forward to for next week. 
I absolutely plan on getting back to your regularly scheduled Twitter questions next week as well. Again, sorry that we didn't quite have the time to get there this week, but I hope you guys enjoyed the episode nonetheless. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving and are all geared up for the holidays. Get your shopping done now. It's early, but the time is going to come by really quickly. We already got our Christmas tree in my house. This is the earliest we've ever gotten it. But when you have a a two-and-a-half-year-old who's all excited, it was a fun way to start off the weekend on that off day on Sunday. So Christmas tree's up, (laughs) and now we're ready to look forward to Christmas and all the upcoming holidays. But we've got quite a few more things to do before we get to that point, especially a few more podcast episodes. So I will be back with another one for you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you again for listening as always. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves and, of course, enjoying the hockey. And I will talk to you all next week.